the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, David keeps his promise to Jonathan and instead of wiping out Saul's surviving family, he blesses them. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 15. Once again, that's 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. Psalm 60, verse 6, God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead's mine, Manasseh's mine, Ephraim. And it lists all these other places. Edom will I cast out of my shoe, verse 8. So, All these places here where he says, God comes to him and says, listen, David, I gave you victory after victory after victory after victory. And if you'll just turn back to me, if you guys will turn back to me, I'll take care of Edom too. And so, again, we don't know what happened, but somehow the Edomites invaded Israel and they, they were winning. And Israel was in a bad, bad spot. So much so that verse 9, David says, who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? David says, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to do that, win this fight. I, I don't know how to turn this around. And so he calls out. In verse 5, he had said, save with your right hand and hear me. Lord, this is my prayer. Lord, who's going to lead us to victory here? Not us. Verse 10, will not you, O God, which has had hads to cast us off, which you had in the past cast us off. And you, O oh God, which did not go out with our armies. Apparently Joab went down and yeah, he killed 12,000, but they were still losing. And so this is where David's fame begins to come from. Israel's in massive trouble. And instead of trying to figure it out on his own, David cries out to the Lord. Verse 11, give us help from trouble for vain is the help of man. Apparently, they had been looking to themselves. Someone had. And David David says, I'm not looking to that now. And then in verse 12, he says, through God, we shall do valiantly for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. And so David sought the Lord. And again, we don't get the details of the battle, but God gave them an overwhelming victory. And the reason that this made David famous is because this is when all the other nations around Israel started to realize David was special because the Lord was with him. That David was different than other kings they'd experienced, other nations they'd had experience with. You know, it's funny, if we just read chapter 8, 
all by itself, we can read it and easily think, man, David's a dude you don't want to mess with. I mean, he's a, he's a general of generals. This guy, he's on the rampage, man. He's creating a little empire here as if Israel's military was some kind of invincible force. But remember, that's not what the word preserved means. And that's what it says here in verse 14. And he put garrisons in Edom. So throughout all Edom, he put garrisons and all they of Edom became David's servants. But look at what it says at the end. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. The same phrase, same word, rescued, saved, delivered. All these situations, David, the odds were never in his favor, but every time God rescued them, he was the one who won the battles. Through our God, we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. That's what David concluded at the end of this psalm. Lord, who's going to get us into Edom? Who's going to fix the situation? Is it not you, O Lord? Will not you help us who had cast us off? We return to you. Lord, will you return to us? And the Lord did. Psalm 60 verse 12 needs to be our marching orders and how we're going to tackle every battle that we find ourselves in. Through our God, we shall do valiantly. On our own, we shall fall on our face. (laughs) Through our God, though, we shall do valiantly for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. When the enemy is overwhelming you, you look to the Lord. Don't try to fix it yourself. Well, verse 15, we see here a kind of a, an organization of David's court, and we get the explanation of who his closest advisors were. It says in verse 15, and David reigned over all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. One of those words means justice, you know, the idea of, of you know, true justice, the idea of not uh, treating other people differently because they had more money or because they had more clout or whatever. It was true justice. The other word means honesty, righteousness, integrity. David had many weaknesses and many failures, but he was a good king because for the most part, he sought to be a faithful servant to God's people. Verse 16 And Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the host. He was the general. David keeps trying to fire him, but he keeps finding ways to win the position. And Jehoshaphat, the son of uh, Ehilud, it says he was the recorder. He was the official record keeper or the clerk. If you ever watched VeggieTales Esther and, you know, and you got uh, Larry as the cucumber taking all the records while Nebuchadnezzar's got his sleeping cap on, that's what this guy was, so... Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. That's going to become important later on. Why do we have two high priests? They're both from different lines. One is from the line of Eli, and the other one is from a different line from the family of Aaron. Remember, God cursed the line of Eli. At some point, that line is going to come to an end, and we will see that as we move through uh, 2 Samuel and into 1 Kings. So we're just introducing who they are here, Zadok and Abiathar. Sariah, it says here, was the scribe. This is the guy in charge of military records. It's probably where we got all this information in this chapter from. Verse 18, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, he was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites. That's interesting. These are two Philistine groups who fought for David. David had an influence on the Philistines when he was there with them. And so after he conquered Philistia, these two groups of mercenaries said, we want to work for you now. We like you. We want to work for you. And so this guy was in charge of them. And then David's sons, it tells us they were chief rulers. It just means royal advisors. Now we come to chapter nine and we see that in chapter eight, God kept his promise. So now David's going to have an opportunity to keep his promise that he made to Jonathan. And we're going to 
find out here, will David be after God's heart? Will he reflect God's heart that God showed to Kim? In verse 1, and David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The word there, kindness, is that Hebrew word chesed, and it is the Hebrew equivalent of agape. It means loyal love, unwavering devotion, unfailing kindness. What loyal love is he talking about here that I might show loyal love because of Jonathan? Well, we have to go back to 1 Samuel to understand. 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. And this is when David has to leave Jonathan because John, remember Jonathan goes back and he says, I'll find out if my dad really wants to kill you. And, uh, and of course, that's when Saul tries to kill Jonathan because he thinks he's in cahoots with David. And so verse 14, this is the promise that Jonathan and David make to each other. And you shall, Jonathan speaking here, and you shall not only while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, that we're not going to be at war even though my father's trying to kill you. But also you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. So Jonathan makes a covenant. He says, David, I'm going to support you. And David, I would ask you not to wipe out my family when you become king. New kings normally handled the family of an old rival by wiping out anyone who could claim the throne. Many likely expected that David would do that with any of Saul's surviving family members. And so it's totally counterculture here for David to ask the question, are there any left from Saul's family that I can show him loyal love because of Jonathan? You know, it's interesting David makes this agreement with Jonathan, makes this covenant with him. Jonathan's dead now. David doesn't passively keep his promise by just going, well, I just won't harm anybody from Saul's house. David actively searches out any surviving family members of Saul to show them love. Verse two. And there was of the house of Saul, family of Saul, a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Are you Ziba? And he said, Your servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Isn't that an interesting phrase? Not just my kindness, but the kindness of God. The kindness that God has showed me. The kindness that God shows to us. Is there not anyone surviving that I can show the kindness of God unto them? And Ziba said unto the king, Well, Jonathan still has a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. So then King David sent and he fetched him, Jonathan's son, out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Ziba, he was probably a master servant in Saul's family, um, probably responsible for the finances and a lot of other things, uh, and so this is why, you know, David says, is there anybody? And someone says, well, I think Saul's master servant's still alive. And so they bring him in to interview him. He says, do you know, I mean, I know that we just fought a civil war, but do you know if any of them are still alive? I mean, I know they killed Ishbosheth. Is anybody left? And Ziba says, yeah, Jonathan's got a son. He's crippled though. He's, he's lame. His feet, he can't walk. 
And the king says, where is he? You know, Ziba, he probably may have even thought to himself, David just wants to wipe out whatever's left. It's possible that he's just very willing to give up of any, any of Saul's living family to show his loyalty to David, or it's possible he trusts David. Either way, he tells him where one of Saul's grandsons is. He's in the house of Machir. Machir is a man from the tribe of Manasseh with land on the other side of Jordan. That's where, remember, that's where Ishbosheth kind of had his base of operations. And he's living in Lodabar, which is a city just south of the Dead Sea on the other side of the Jordan. And King David, you know, he, he fetches him. And the reason is because he, he can't walk. During the Civil War, this guy, Makir, loved Saul's family, took care of Mephibosheth. And so when David sends someone to bring Mephibosheth to Jerusalem, Mephibosheth figures it's over for him. He figures he's a dead man. Verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, make sure it points that out, was come unto David, he fell on his face. Not exactly an easy thing for someone who can't get back up to do. He's in a bad spot. And it says he did reverence, which means he bowed down deeply to the ground. He didn't just get on his knees. I mean, he got on his face with his face to the ground, arms outstretched, bowing before David. I love what David says to him. Mephibosheth? Is that you? And he answers, behold thy servant. I love when David says his name because it reminds me of when Jesus asked the demoniac's name. Remember? The guy comes out and he's all, Jesus, you come before our time, throw us into the pit. You know, and, and you know, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't talk to the demons, he talks to the guy. He goes, what's your name, man? When's the last time anybody asked this guy's name? You know, whenever anybody talked about him, he said he's the demoniac, you know? So much, he was so crazy, they chained him out there. And he had broken the chains. He was so demon-possessed. What's your name? It's probably the first time somebody treated him like a human being in a long time. This guy comes in, he's thinking he's dead. David's going to kill me. I'm it. I'm the last one he's got to wipe out. And he falls on his face. He just says his name, Mephibosheth. I know your name. I know your name. I'm not just a thing to expunge, to preserve my throne. You're someone God made. You're my best friend's son. And when he says his name, he says, behold, your servant. I'm loyal, David. I don't want the throne. I'm your servant. Whatever you want, I'll do it. David quells all that fear immediately. He says unto him, fear not. How many times do we see the Lord come onto the scene and those are the first words out of his mouth? Fear not. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. David puts feet to his commitment, to his words. You don't have to hide anymore, Mephibosheth. Gabeah, your father's land, it's all yours again, all of it. 
that you'll be my guest of honor at every feast that we have. And you know, that is the kindness of God. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. I was lame, unable to rescue myself from certain doom. But Jesus didn't want to expunge me. He wanted to bless me beyond all I deserved. And he elevated me, gave me a home. He gave me a position at his table. As you can imagine, Mephibosheth is shocked. He bows himself again to the ground and he says, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? The word there, look, it's, in, it's interesting. It's hard to translate into English. It means to go a different direction. I mean, obviously, if you're going to go a different direction, you've got to look in that direction first. So that's why they translate it this way. But that you would look at me differently than everyone else does. But what am I? What is your servant that you would look at me differently? Who everyone else considers a dead dog. A dog is a phrase used back then, a term of very low status. Like if you want to insult somebody, you call them a dog. Like it's not, what up dog? Not like that. Right? It's the opposite of that, okay? So being a dead dog, well, that's even lower than a dog. There was far less compassion for those who had physical disabilities back then. Most were considered cursed. I mean, we get the best example of that from Jesus' wonderful disciples. Here they go up, they march up, they climb up the stairs, they go into the temple, they worship the Lord, they're having this great day, Jesus is teaching, then they come out on the southern steps and they notice this guy who's blind. They're like, hey, there's a blind guy who's begging every day. And they say, hey, Jesus, which guy sinned, this guy or his parents that he's this way? Jesus is way nicer than I am because that's when I push them all down the steps. Let's see how it feels for you being crippled. As they're falling down, who sinned, you know? That's how you're reviewed. You're cursed. Either something horrible you did or something horrible your family did. He's a dead dog. In addition to that, he has no resources to defend himself. Shown by the fact that David can just fetch him. He can't go anywhere. He's literally in the worst possible position a person could be before the king. But you know, these words are familiar to us just in the previous chapter. When God says, David, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to do all this for you. The Messiah is going to come from your line. Your son's going to build me a temple. I'm going to do all these things for you. And David is just dumbfounded. And in 2 Samuel seven eighteen, then went King David in and he sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, O Lord God? What's my house that you've brought me this far? Mephibosheth experienced the mercy and the grace of David's loyal love, just as David had experienced the mercy and grace of the Lord's loyal love. And if we want to have hearts that are after God, if we want to be those who have hearts, our desire needs to be to be those who keep our promises and who show mercy and grace to the undeserved. Do you do that? Do you keep your promises like the Lord does? Keep your commitments. 
And do you show mercy and grace to the undeserved? Now, verse 9. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said unto him, because he can't tell Mephibosheth to do this, he can't work the land. He says, I have given unto your master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his family. Therefore, you and your sons and your servants, you will till the land for him, and you'll bring in the fruit so that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, so this is why I say he's probably a master servant for King Saul. He's got a, a group of guys that, that he works with, and David says, now you're going to work for Mephibosheth. You're going to do the same thing. And Ziba, he said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so shall your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. We have not been given the spirit of bondage to fear again, but we have given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. And if sons of God, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. That's what he does to Mephibosheth. He makes him a joint heir. He makes him like one of his sons. Same thing that Jesus does for us. That same exact love. And so, verse 12 tells us how that story ends. And so Mephibosheth, he had a young son whose name was Micah. It says Micha here, but his name is Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba, they were servants unto Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth, he decides to live in Jerusalem. He says, I want to hang out with David more. <laughs> and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to be with David more when he treats you like this? For he did eat continually at the king's table, and he was lame on both his feet. He still needed the king every day. He still needed his king. He still couldn't do anything on his own in the same way that we still need our king. I find it fascinating that his son Micah is mentioned here. He's named here because First Chronicles lists his descendants, this guy Micah's descendants, as leading men in the tribe of Benjamin all the way up until Nebuchadnezzar captures Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Because what we see here because of David's kindness, is that Saul's family, which should have been wiped out by the Lord and by David, just by the way things should be done. That family doesn't just survive. Saul's family goes on, his descendants, to experience the blessings of God because of David's grace, because of the Lord's grace. And so maybe you've made some lame decisions in your life. Maybe you've rebelled against God like Saul did. And when we do that, does that mean we miss out on some of the blessings we could have had then because of those bad decisions? Sure. But God still can and wants to bless your life because his loyal love for you never fades. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 13 one more time. And I want you to think of the fact that love here, God is love. And therefore, we can put his name in front of every single one of these Things in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. It starts off by saying, Love suffers long, it's patient. God is patient. God, He is kind. He does not envy. 
is love. God, it does not vaunt itself. It does not brag on himself. It's not puffed up or arrogant. He does not behave himself unseemly. It means rudely. Love does not seek her own. God does not seek his own. He does not seek his own. He would have never went to the cross if he sought his own. Love is not easily provoked, neither is the Lord. Love keeps no account, keeps no records of evil. The Lord washes away all of our sin. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. God's not okay with sin. He rejoices in the truth. And yet, we see here that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God bears all things, believes all things. He keeps working in us, hopes all things. He endures all things. And here it is, love never fails. The Lord will never stop loving you and me. He will remain loyal to us to the end. Amen? Amen. Lord, what a beautiful picture we have here in David's faithfulness to his promise, his loving kindness to Mephibosheth. And Lord, he gave that out because, Lord, he had first experienced it from you. That same unfailing devotion that you've shown to us, we want to give it to others. So fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill us with the fruit of the spirit, which is love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.